The reading this evening is from John chapter 16, starting at verse 16, and that can be found on page 1084. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I am going to the Father, they kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that the child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and because I believe you believe that I come from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sarah. I apologise for those who are having to hear me again today. <laughs> Bernard and Elizabeth, your face is long, Bernard. <laughs> Not really. Let's pray. Precious God, our Father, as we turn to your word, we seek your blessing. With ourselves, we can have no understanding, uh, but by the power of your Spirit, speak to us concerning the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. May he be glorified and honoured in our midst, because we ask it for his name's sake. Amen. With all due deference to my lovely wife, um, <laughs> she wonders what's coming. My mum made the best syrup tart in all the world. Uh, of that there is no doubt. I absolutely loved my, my mum's syrup tart. And while I was preparing for this uh, um, talk tonight, I, my mind was taken to riddles. And uh, uh, this was a real riddle that the, uh, 
disciples were presented with by the Lord. I'm no good at riddles. My family spend their lives competing with each other on that ridiculous thing, Wordle. Um, and, uh, uh, but I, I espouse it completely. Um, <laughs> you're probably the same. It's not English. It's not English, no. No, it's nothing. But the point of what I'm saying is my mom's syrup tarts, she always got the Tate and Lyle's syrup tin out in the morning. And written on the syrup tin, I did look the other day on a treacle tart tin, but it was so sealed up and gummy and horrible that it didn't really read. Um, but on the front, thanks to Mr. Lyle, who apparently was a Christian, are the words that come from Judges 14. A riddle of Samson. And don't ask half of it. It says, out of the strong comes something sweet. And these Philistines, the 30 guests, all anxious to get a new suit. If you read the story, it's quite interesting. Um, all, inter all very keen to get a new suit from Samson, because that was the prize for breaking his riddle, um, were competing madly to get it. Well, they cheated their way to it. But uh, that's by the by, that's nothing to do with this. The disciples must have been really up a gum tree when they came to what the Lord was talking about. And in fact, they said, what on earth is he speaking about? Some of his disciples said that amongst themselves when he had said, a little while and you will not see me. Again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. Now, would you and I have understood what the Lord was talking about. We're transitioning, really, from chapter the, the previous two chapters as the Lord is getting to the end of his um, conversation with his disciples uh, prior to leading to the cross. And they're still going through the Kidron Valley. They're probably uh, way up the mount by now towards the Mount of Olives. And the Lord is talking to them in these words. What is he saying to them? What is he talking a little while? How can we be filled with sorrow. And yet he's talking about being filled with joy. What does he mean? And the Lord, of course, knowing every human mind and hearing every human heart, knew exactly what they were saying amongst them, themselves. And you know, I take great encouragement from that because when I find scripture a little bit of a riddle sometimes and I wonder, what does this really mean? I know for sure that my Lord in heaven knows exactly what I'm thinking. And all I have to do is get down on my knees and seek the guidance of his spirit into my life and into my heart and into what he's saying. And I know he will give me the answer if I really do it in all earnestness and in all devotion. So he's still pursuing the thought of, of how profitable it would be for him to go away. How much better it would be for his disciples if he was able to send another who would speak of things concerning himself, who would tell them about the things that really mattered in their life, who would open up to them the, 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 the secrets of God, if you like. How wonderful that we have that spirit within our hearts, isn't it, today? And that he speaks of the things concerning Christ, just like the Lord did himself on the road to Emmaus. Things concerning himself. We used amongst brethren, there was a magazine came out once a month and it was titled Things Concerning Himself. And it was very rewarding to read some of those articles because they all pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Soon they would no longer see him. And then again, a little while, they would see him. And I'm going to the Father. What does it mean? Well, I think it's important in the first place to, to see, actually, uh, that the word see, and to see that the word see, to understand that the word see in that verse are two different words. A, a little while and you will, see, will not see me. The word for see there in the Aramaic is actually, you'll behold me, you'll see me body to body, face to face. You'll, you'll know me, you'll recognize me. I'm here. And then a little while and you won't see me. Uh, and then you will see me again. And the second see is a different word, or has a different meaning in the Aramaic. It's to perceive or to discern by faith. So it's been replaced actually seeing him as he is. And a little while, and you will see me again. And I tell you this because it's really important in understanding this particular passage. By faith, once the Holy Spirit has been given, even though they didn't understand that at the time, you will see me. I'm reminded of the, the scripture in Hebrews 2, verse 9. We see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. Do we really see him with our eyes? No. Do we see him by faith? Yes, we do. And we discern wonderful things because there he is, crowned with glory and honor. Lord of Lords, King of Kings in heaven. And that is our home. So it's a wonderful thing to, to know that and to understand that the Lord was saying to them that something was going to happen that was going to make these things very much clearer to them, even though they didn't understand. It was a riddle uh, to them at the time. But in this passage we've got verse 22 really is the key. And I just want to look at, just turn, if you've got your Bibles, Therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, that's the strongest encouragement, most assuredly I say to you that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. A real key verse now, because the Lord was referring not only to, to the gladness that would fill their hearts when they met him again in resurrection. Remember, his crucifixion was tomorrow, as he was talking to them like this. They didn't really know that at all. But he knew, the Lord in his, in his um, infinite wisdom knew. But joy would fill their hearts, but because within two, two to three days, they would see him again with their very eyes. But also, there was a joy that was going to fill their hearts because on from there, certainly in the 40 days or so up to Pentecost, and then into in that day of the next verse. What did that mean, in that day? The period we believe right through the church period. The time when the Spirit has been given and the time when we would behold him by glory. Why? Uh, in glory. Why? Because we have the spirit within our hearts. So as we look heavenwards and we see him as seated at God's right hand, as in Hebrews chapter 2, our hearts are going to be filled with joy. Or they should be. Should they not? Because there he is. 
seated at God's right hand, waiting for the day when he'll take us to be with himself. I love that thought. I love the prospect of going to be with my Savior. I love the thought that his desire is that he should have me there with him and each one of us that knows and loves him. I love the fact that it was for the joy that he was set before him that he endured the cross, despising the shame. Why? Because his joy is going to be full too. And not only my joy will be full, but his joy when we're all in heaven together in Father's house. What a wonderful prospect. I'm going there. And I'm going to prepare that for you. I'm going ahead, he said. How wonderful that will be. Be reassured. Be joyful. Even though you will experience sorrow for a while. And he said at the end of it, didn't he? I've spoken to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you'll have tribulations. And we do, don't we? And we look around us and we have tribulations. And we look into our own hearts and into our own lives. We have tribulations and we have sorrows and we have struggles and we do things that we don't want to do as the apostle said and we don't do the things that we do want to do and if Paul had that experience I certainly do it's a very real experience but be of good cheer he said I've overcome the world I've put this right and there's a time coming when we shall enjoy all these things to the full so are you full of joy? tonight? Are you full of joy? Or a bit, you know, it's hot, sticky, shut up, will you, sit down, it's too hot to stay long. Are we really full of joy in there? If you want joy, we used to sing in the old days. You girls should know this song, if you don't, shame on you. If you want joy, real joy, wonderful joy, let Jesus come into your heart. Your sins he'll take away, your night he'll turn to day, your heart he'll Make over anew and then come in to stay. If you want joy, real joy, let Jesus come into your heart. I can think of no better answer to that. But are we uneasy theologically at the thought of having too much joy? It, does it wreak a little bit of prosperity? We're off to Africa, God willing, some of us in a couple of weeks, and there... Lots of people will go around as though they're absolutely bubbling full of joy. Why? Because they're getting everything that they could possibly ask for, plus a shed load more. Only they're looking at it from the wrong reason. They, th they think perhaps in areas of uh, poverty this is particularly so, although also in this country. Uh, health, their health will be fine. They'll never be sick again. Why? Because I believe in Jesus. My business is going to be a huge success and I'm going to make loads and loads of money and I'll be able to give it away. Why? Because I believe in Jesus. There is also quite often you'll come across the idea that I can actually be changed into a sort of state of sinless perfection. Why? Because Jesus has died for my sins. Now I want to stress straight away, nowhere does the Bible teach that, but I knew a lovely evangelical Christian pa pastor who believed it to his heart. That it is possible to be sinlessly perfect, if you understand what I mean, in this life. Now I had to radically disagree with him because as long as we have the old nature within, it's not possible. But praise his name. 
when that day comes and I'm in glory with him, the old nature's gone. We say, oh yes, he says, but you should have crucified it. should have been crucified to the cross. When Jesus died, my sins were put on the cross with him. But it's not quite that easy, is it? Because we're still human. And we still have struggles. And we still have difficulties. So, what do you think of the old adage, which I can see way back when I was younger, suffering now and glory later. Suffering now and glory later. You can't be too happy now because you're still in your sin, sinful state. You still have the old man with you, the old nature. Uh, and as long as you have that, you're going to suffer. And the Lord had just went, went on to say, you will have suffering. So we may perhaps get a little bit suspicious of those who are too much on a high spiritual realm. Maybe guilty of that. I wish I could be like that, but they shouldn't really. Because that's not really what the Bible says. Is this what the Lord was trying to get across to them? That there's going to be terrible things coming. I'm going away. And if I go away, yes, you will see me again. But I'm going away and there will be suffering untold. There will be dreadful things happen to you. You'll be scourged, you'll be whipped, you'll be... Well, you only have to read Paul's account of the things that happened to him. You'll be put into prison. You'll be tortured. That doesn't sound very happy at all. And thank God that in this country so far, we have, haven't yet experienced that. Verse 20, though, says it, doesn't it? Expect trouble, persecution, sorrow now, but later, wonderful things. Or does it say that? Does it really say that? Because verse 33 says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You can't have your cake and your halfpenny. And it points us, really, to the absolute imperative fact that we have to trust the Savior every step of the way. Really, the, 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 the adage could say, suffering now, joy now, and glory later. Suffering now, joy now, and glory later. But I want to ask you another question. So, another question. If we're going to have suffering now, as the Lord promised us. And yet we're going to have joy, as the Lord promised us. When does this transformation take place? And how does it take place? And has something got to happen in my life in order to change from one to the other? Now I want to make it clear, Romans 12 verse 2 makes it abundantly clear, that it's not a substitution, it's a transformation. We're not taking out the suffering and shoving a shelf full of joy in. We're being changed. Don't be conformed to this world, said the writer to the Hebrews, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Things are changing. And the Lord Jesus is doing a wonderful work. So, is it a little while before this happens? Or is it now? What do I look forward to? Is it tomorrow I'm going to wake up and I'm going to have this transformed mind? And remember, again, I say, he was speaking the day 
before his crucifixion. But this incredible joy, he says, he says to them, no one but no one will take it away from you. It's something which is yours forever, peculiarly yours. Not for all of us as a bit of, I'll have a bit of this, and I'll have some of it, and yeah, there's a bit left over for, for you and for someone else. No, no, this is specifically and peculiarly for us. The Lord Jesus, in his infinite grace, God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, and that he's blessed us, wants to lavish his blessings upon us. And he's going to spend eternity, mark my words, he's going to spend eternity doing that. But the wonderful thing is, he wants to do it now. He wants to bless us now. He doesn't want us to have to wait till we get to glory. And I think I quoted it this morning, and I've quoted it from here many times. And, and I'm going to quote it again, because I never tire of this scripture. It's over our bed, carved by the word on wood, the fellow in Keswick. And, and carved in lovely oak, um, and it's, I've said it so much, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, I've forgotten what it says. Um, I has not seen, nor has ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him, but he reveals them to us now by his Spirit. And we must remember that last little bit, because as he reveals himself to us, as he did those two on the road of Emmaus, as by the work of his spirit in our lives, transforming us into what he wants us to be, those things which are laid up in heaven in their fullness, we can begin to enjoy now. That's why at the beginning of Ephesians, Paul wrote to the Ephesians and said this, you have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. From that angle, there is no more spiritual blessing to receive in heaven than we have available to us already today by his spirit. So you're full of that joy or half full, half empty? You see, we still have that old nature that drags us down. It's not really true. Don't really believe it. Don't really be that optimistic about your Christian faith, says Satan. And we get dragged down, don't, don't we? And discouraged. But Christian joy belongs to us now. So where does it come from in the midst of this persecution? How can I have it? And the Lord wants them to have it. He's leaving them. And he, in his earnest desire that they should know the fellowship of his presence, even though he was gone, yet, you still see me by faith, they didn't know. Where does it come from, this possibility? Well, verse 22 and 23 says this, You now have sorrow. But I will see you again, your heart will rejoice, and no man will take it from you. In that day you will ask of me, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. And I want you to notice he's beginning to talk to them about a relationship with his Father. Is there a clue there? 
that in coming into relationship with our Heavenly Father that we begin to enter into the wonderful things that heaven has. I want to take you on 48 hours, 72 hours. What did the Lord say to Mary Magdalene when she saw him and he revealed himself in the garden? Have you ever noticed this? Because it's really important. It's the first time our relationship is brought in in this way. The Lord Jesus said to Mary, touch me not, for I'm not yet ascended to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is becoming in resurrection my God and Father. This was a totally new relationship the Lord Jesus is, is introducing us, each one, his disciples then, but us today, into. That his Father in heaven is also my Father. Is that possible? The creator God, the maker of heaven and earth, of the whole universe, the one who created me, the one who created you, and the one in whose hands everything subsists. He's my Father. I can think of my earthly Father and I can understand that. But the Lord Jesus has said very, very clearly, my Father and your Father. And it's opening up a totally new relationship for all of us. And I, I'm going to be so bold as to say there's very little appreciation of this in the church today. How often do we hear talk, people talking about, we talk about, yes, Father and this and Father, but a deep, personal, intimate relationship with the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What higher love or affection or depth of relationship is there between Father, God the Father, and God the Son? We can't comprehend that. And yet what the Lord is saying, he wants to share that relationship with you and with me. He wants you and me to enter into the very depths of that personal relationship with his Father. The Father himself loveth you because you have loved me he said to them the father himself loveth you because you have loved me and then he goes on in chapter 17 because he's nearly finished with the disciples and he gets on his knees to his father and i think to me that is the most wonderful prayer I know people talk about the Lord's Prayer to me. John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. And to me, it's the most amazing, amazing prayer that we can have that opened up, the intimacy of his conversation with his father just before he died. And he said, he said Father, I, my desire, I will that those whom you have given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, the glory which I had with you, before the worlds were made. I want them to see me as I really am. And he said to, to Philip, didn't he? If you see me, you'll see the Father. I want you to enter, I want them to enter into the joy of my relationship with you. A little while, and you will see me again by faith. And yet you'll get more wonderful things. Why? Because I go to the Father, he said. It's really really important and he said what's more you're going to be witnesses to all this in all these circumstances that are going to happen in the end 
chapter 7, uh, verse 27, chapter 15, you'll also bear witness because you've been with me right from the beginning. So it's our task, our job, our joy, our privilege to go and tell people that there's a God in heaven who loves them. There's a God in heaven who cares for them. There's a God in heaven who wants to be their father. There's a God in heaven who has prepared a place for all those in his home that know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our job. Go and be witnesses to all the earth. John was so excited about it in his first epistle. He said, I write these things. Why? So that your joy may be full. My joy is full. He said, I've seen him. I've touched him. I've handled him. I've heard him. And, and I'm writing these things so you can have the same too. You can be blessed. Do you want to be blessed tonight? Do you want joy tonight? If you want joy, let Jesus come into your heart. If you want joy, trust the Savior every step of the way. But it was only possible in his name. We couldn't go off and say, well, all, all other routes, there are many other routes lead to God, as the devil tells so many today, and so many would try and tell us. No, 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 no. It's only in his name that we have access to the Father. In me, you have peace and joy. Why? Because I've overcome the world. In me, you have free access to the Father. Behold, I and the children whom thou hast given me speaks of a day to come when the Lord presents us his own to his Father. These are the ones you've given to me. Wow. What a privilege. Behold, I and the children whom thou hast given me. So if you know me and you trust in my cross and my resurrection and the effects of that, I'm leading you into a relationship with my Father that would never, ever have been possible before. That surely should bring us great joy. And I want to, to close by saying if there's one verse which to me really, I've already quoted one verse which I love, but I'm going to quote you another one. Um, because I think this is Lisa Clue, Philippians 3 verse 10, should really be the deep desire of every single one of our hearts. And if it isn't, then I'm going to ask you to re-examine yourself, to go home and think about it. Philippians 3 verse 10, Paul the Apostle writes this, Oh, that I might know him, Christ. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. What new life has brought, introducing me to his father, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Because he went through it all for me to make this possible. Sometimes we get the idea that we've been to Calvary, we've been saved, and it's great. Wow, I'm going on in my Christian life. The old song says, Jesus, keep me near the cross. Keep me near the cross. Don't let me ever wander from the cross. Don't let me ever forget the depths of the sufferings that I went through, that he went through on my account. The fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection. And in the next verse he said, but thank God he said, I press on, said Paul, I press on. Where's he pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? I'm going to glory, he says. And I'm going to meet him there. And it's a great goal, and he'll, we sometimes think about casting our crowns before him. Anything that 
that the Lord has been gracious to give us, we'll just give back to him in thanks and praise and honor because he is rightfully worthy. He is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords in our lives today. Oh, may we go on understanding these things, the secret of real joy, a relationship with Christ leading us to know the Father and to love the Father and to appreciate his love for us. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Father, thank you for that verse which says that you're rich in mercy and in grace and in kindness and in love towards every one of us. Thank you that you chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that you might bless us throughout all eternity. Thank you that your desire has always been to bless us. The Father loveth you because you have loved me. Help us to love you more, Lord Jesus. Show us more and more of the Father and the greatness of who he is. The one who dwells in light unapproachable. And yet we're going to be there forever, enjoying the wonders of all that you have done. We just want to say thank you. We can say no more. Our words are so weak and feeble. But thank you, Lord, for all that has led us into this wonderful hope that lies before us. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In your most holy name. Amen.